Hello and welcome to another Intelligence Fusion podcast. I'm Laura Brown, the Chief Commercial Officer at IF, and with me today we have the Senior Regional Analyst for the Americas, Vincent Fabrier. How are you, Vincent? Yeah, doing well. Just surviving quarantine. How about yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Pretty much, pretty much the same. I'm uh, very much ready to, to get back into the office. Are you? Absolutely. Yeah, miss, miss the kind of social aspect of it all, so fingers crossed. <laughs> Well, in this episode, Vincent is going to give us an update on the ELN's activity uh, across Colombia. If you enjoy our content, we'd love you to like, comment and share this episode with your network. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel as well to be one of the first to listen to any of our latest analysis and episodes. So, Vincent, let's start with the basics. Can you give us an overview of the ELN and, and who they are? Yeah. Um, so the ELN, or National Liberation Army in English, are left-wing armed group from Colombia who were founded in the early 60s uh, while the country was coming out of a 10-year civil war uh, known as La Violencia. Uh, the group was founded by Colombian rebels trained in Cuba, as well as being headed by some Roman Catholic priests uh, who were promoting liberation theology. So liberation theology is essentially a mix of Christian theology and social economic principles, primarily from Marxism. Uh, and those emphasize concern for the poor and the political liberation of the oppressed people. So Marxism is the same ideology that we see in other armed groups uh, within the country like the FARC. Uh, the group has been involved since then in what's known as the Colombian conflict, which is an asymmetric conflict between the government, right-wing uh, paramilitary groups, left-wing armed groups, and other criminal actors, all vying to increase their influence in the areas they control in order to impose their ideologies, but right now it's primarily as a means to conduct their illicit activities. So the group was never the strongest or the largest group, but it has become stronger since the demobilization of the FARC in about 2016, 2017, uh, when that group signed a peace deal with the government of uh, President Juan Manuel Santos. Uh, since then, we had the 2018 presidential election, uh, which saw the election of President Duque, uh, who's uh, more uh, right uh, of center uh, in terms of political ideology and who ran on a platform that was against a FARC peace deal and demanded that the ELN release all kidnapping victims and cease their activity for any peace negotiations to take place. Um, the president's rejection of a FARC peace deal and wanting to make changes saw protests being held in Bogota against his viewpoint. While there has been some while there had been some dialogue between the government and the ELN in 2018, the chance of a peace deal collapsed in January 2019 when a vehicle bomb detonated at a police academy in Bogota, killing over 20 people and wounding over 60. After the incident, President Duque suspended dialogue between the government and the ELN. So you mentioned the president asking the group to release kidnapping victims. Um, is that one of the ways that they actually finance themselves? And, and is there anything else that they do in order to do so? Yeah, so the group finances itself in a variety of ways. So kidnappings has long been synonymous with the ELN and as one of their methods uh, for financing themselves. However, over the years, they've diversified. Uh, so the group is involved in drug trafficking, uh, in illegal mining, in contraband smuggling, uh, oil smuggling, and extortion, whether that's from small businesses and residents or from larger companies like oil and gas, which are operating in the areas that they control. Uh, so these activities are not just undertaken in Colombia, 
but we also see them in Venezuela, where the group has a presence and is involved in illegal mining and oil smuggling. So I suppose to understand um, how the group acts and finances itself, it's important to understand how it's structured. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so broad strokes. Uh, while the ELN has a central command, which primarily is used to make political decisions, the group has a horizontal structure uh, divided in several what they call war fronts uh, based on geography, with some being divided further into more localized groups. Uh, there's also a structure above that uh, handling things like logistics, uh, political speech, and things of that nature. Uh, this structure allows fronts uh, to have a certain autonomy in its decision-making uh, in regards to how and when they attack and what criminal at, uh, activities they undertake. Uh, so this is why there are reports that some fronts might have made alliances with certain FARC dissident groups, uh, while others have not. Uh, geographically, while the ELN has a presence in at least half the departments of Colombia, their presence is stronger in a number of them, uh, like on the border with Venezuela and Norte de Santander, uh, and Aroca, and centrally in Antioquia, uh, or the Pacific Coast, like in the departments of Nariño, Coca, and Choco. Uh, the group has been expanding since the FARC peace deal uh, because they're trying to take control over previously held uh, drug trafficking territory and routes, uh, which had been held by the FARC. Uh, so to do so, they're fighting uh, remnants of the FARC in terms of FARC dissident uh, groups, uh, as well as uh, other actors like the Clan del Golfo. And what's their activity been like in Colombia, especially since January 2019, when we saw the, the vehicle bomb and now into 2020? So in regards to their activity, as we mentioned before, the group conducted a vehicle bomb attack with a high number of casualties in Bogota in January 2019. And that very much set the tone of the year. Uh, so Pre President Duque uh, ceased the dialogue with the group and launched a fresh military offensive against it. At the same time, protests took place calling for peace uh, for both sides to return to peace negotiations. Uh, the results of the renewed violence were a number of skirmishes in the departments that we just mentioned, uh, where the group is quite active. Uh, from what we recorded in terms of incidents during 2019, the bulk of incidents were in the departments of Aroca, Norte de Santander, Nariño, Coca, and Antioquia. Uh, the use of vehicle bombs wasn't just seen in January in Bogota, uh, but we also saw several incidents of, of such attacks uh, recorded throughout the year, often detonated near military bases. Uh, the group uses explosives quite often in their attacks, uh, whether it's firing improvised cylinder bombs at military bases or detonating roadside IEDs targeting police and military patrols. They also use explosives in coca fields to target eradication operations. We've actually put out a three-page document on the use of explosives by armed groups in Colombia, and you can find the link in the description. What we also saw a lot by the group during the 2019 was the targeting of oil pipelines with explosives. Uh, so the two pipelines most often targeted are the Transandino pipeline in the department of Nariño and the Caño Limón pipeline in the department of Aroca and Norte de Santander. Uh, these attacks not only affect uh, oil companies, but also a number of oil spills impacting water sources on which local populations rely. Now, uh, this violence has continued into 2020. Uh, so January uh, saw three significant attacks against two military bases and a police station in the departments of Aroca and Casanare. Uh, that month also saw several attacks on the Transandino pipeline in the department of Nariño. Uh, now, the bulk of the activity that we've seen so far in 2020 uh, was seen in February, and this was primarily due to the group declaring a 72-hour arms strike. 
uh, which at the same time, there was one that had been declared by another armed group, uh, the EPL. During this period, we saw a large number of incidents, which included uh, a high number of IED detonations and fines, um, as well as uh, involving attacks, uh, two attacks on military bases, uh, and one of which uh, involved a vehicle bomb. And again, with the activity mostly focused in the departments of Norte de Santander and Aroca, we also saw skirmishes, ambushes, harassment of authorities with gunfire, and the deployment of propaganda. An incident that month that took place prior to the armed strike, though, was the destruction of an electrical transmission tower east of Medellin. This shows the threat posed by the group uh, regarding infrastructure, not only for oil and gas sector, but also electrical and even telecom sectors. Since February, though, uh, the activity has diminished significantly, uh, with sporadic skirmishes between the ELN and soldiers, as well as against FARC dissidents or the Clan del Golfo members. Uh, the drop in incidents, at least for April, can be attributed to the group having declared a unilateral ceasefire, uh, which took place between the 1st and the 31st of April due to COVID-19. Uh, the month of May uh, has already seen several attacks on the Caño Limón pipeline and the Bicentenario pipeline uh, in the areas where the ELN is active. So based on the method of attack and the locations, it's likely that the group is responsible for those attacks. So based on their level of activity that you've observed since January 2019, how do you see the rest of 2020 playing out? So it's difficult to tell um, as the recent COVID-19 pandemic does play a factor, and but the extent of that factor is not yet fully known. So we've seen outbreaks of COVID-19 in military bases in Colombia, putting dozens of soldiers in self-isolation. This in turn could be taken advantage of by the ELN, thinking they can strike with less resistance. Additionally, lockdown measures have caused social unrest, as well as closed borders and travel. The social unrest may lead to police forces being deployed uh, to those situations, and again, allowing uh, the ELN to operate with less resistance, with neither the government or the ELN taking advantage of a ceasefire to take steps to get negotiations over a peace deal back on, on the table, it's unlikely that 2020 will be the year where progress is made in that regard. Uh, so the group is currently uh, the most powerful armed group in the country, and with its expanding footprint in Venezuela, it's becoming a significant player in Latin America. Um, with the continued assassinations of demobilized FARC members, we'll probably see some of those demobilized members rejoin armed groups as trust in the government being um, able to implement the peace deal with the FARC diminishes. This could lead to some of these former members to join FARC dissident groups or even VLN. So it's probable that 2020 will see the group strengthen and hold its areas it currently control and further expand into Venezuela where political strife uh, and economic hardships continue pushing more people towards uh, illicit means of income. So during this time, threats to industries like oil and gas and the telecom industry uh, will likely persist throughout Colombia. Thank you very much, Vincent. Another valuable insight there, all of which is supported by the 2,500 incidents recorded on a monthly basis across Latin America on the Intelligence Fusion platform. Don't forget to tell us what your key takeaways were from this episode. We love to hear from our listeners. But until the next episode, don't forget to subscribe and stay safe.